Esther reminded me after my last sermon that I left you guys without telling the whole story about when I was on Lake Erie. Um, and if you're wondering, <clears throat> I did not drown. I did not die that night. So it did end with, uh, just to give you kind of a quick wrap that up, uh, once we were in the middle of Lake Erie and in the pitch black and wondering if we were going to die, uh, we, I don't know, I don't know how many miles away that is from shore, uh, but I did get back to shore by following lights and then just really going back across the shore until we found a building that looked familiar, uh, but we didn't make it that night. Anyway, just to wrap that up, um, this is our last Sunday of the year, and when I looked back at, uh, you know, this time last year, uh, I don't know if I want to say a whole lot has changed about our church and um, the way we do things, but there are some things that have changed. And I looked back, and about this time is when Sam was uh, selected as the senior pastor of our church. And uh, he obviously didn't have a clue what was ahead of him for 2020. Uh, but going into the year, obviously, uh, we knew that that was going to change, that Sam would be the lead pastor, um, and then we you know, not very long in, I want to say maybe six to eight weeks of him becoming the senior pastor is when we had to close our doors uh, back in March. And the reason we closed the doors is because we didn't know what was ahead. We didn't know what the coronavirus was or what it was going to do uh, to all of us. So we ended up shutting down. And uh, I remember when we shut down, I don't know if I've ever worked so many hours in my life uh, editing videos and organizing the Sunday uh, sermon videos and everything. That took a lot of time, and I was so glad for that to be over. And then, you know, sometime in the summer, we started having the outdoor services, and I think we all kind of enjoyed that uh, to a point until it got really hot out, and some of us maybe uh, passed out and saw heaven for a quick second as it was so hot outside. Uh, then we transitioned back in, to indoor, and we we removed half of our seats and we required masks and things looked a little bit different than they used to. And then that's kind of where we are a little bit still. Um, our attendance in person is still a little bit down and, and we understand that. We understand that some people need to stay home and some people um, are at a point where they cannot be exposed because it's gonna affect a lot more people if they need to be in quarantine. Um, so we're still not sure what 2021 is gonna look like. Um, but I do pray that it's going to be better. Uh, I think we can all agree on that. So I say all that to say this, is that when, when we do look back, and I did not say anything to Matt before, but the song when they say, you know, that God is good, he, he still is good. He is still someone and a God we can rely on, and we can still trust him. And I realize there's some things that are not that enjoyable right now still, and Maybe some of you even lost someone that you're close with, and I get that. God is still good. I know for our family, um, you know, one of the things that was not enjoyable was not getting to spend Christmas with my grandpa. Uh, he's 90 years old, getting ready to be 91 here soon. We don't know how much longer we have with him, but we had to just go to the uh, nursing home and go outside of his window and call him on the phone and spend Christmas that way. And it's not what we envisioned. God is still good. And that's what I want to 
want to start with. It's just the idea and put the concentration on your mind that God is good. And then let's go to Matthew 16, which is where uh, we last left off with Jesus' life. And uh, if you remember back when Sam was preaching, he was talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the leaven that he was speaking of was not the bread. It was not the actual bread that they needed to eat. It was the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, I don't know if you remember back the last time I preached, I talked about um, where you know, Jesus was feeding the 5,000 and how he immediately needed to get his disciples away from them because they were getting caught up in this idea that Jesus was going to become this ruler and king on earth that was going to overtake the throne um, while here on earth. And, and Jesus, that, he wanted to protect his disciples, so he immediately told them to get in a boat and to go away. And Jesus is doing the same thing here with the leaven, is that he's trying to protect his disciples from wrong teaching. And that's kind of how um, we raise our kids too, right? If we notice something that they're being taught that it's wrong, we want to protect them from it whether it be something at school, because it is possible that at a school they could be taught something that's wrong, um, or it could be on something they are entertaining themselves with, whether it be TV, a device, something. In the same way that we try to protect our kids from wrong teaching or wrong influence, that's what Jesus was doing with the disciples, and he was trying to protect them from it. Uh, we also see that Jesus' job is still not finished with the disciples. Uh, when I preached last time, when they, he finally got in the boat, they all proclaimed as, as a group of disciples that this was Jesus, the Son of God. It was the first time that as a group, all the disciples said that. There were other times where people said it. Even the demons that Jesus encountered said that he was the Son of God. But it was the first time that all the disciples said that he was the Son of God. But even then, his job was not finished, and we're at a point uh, where Jesus is going to uh, interact with his disciples and, and kind of give them a final quiz. Uh, Sherry, can you go ahead and play the video? This is just a short video to give an illustration. Whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But whom say ye that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So that video was really just a scripture reading, um, and that's actually the scripture we're in, which is uh, 
Matthew 16, verses 13, and we're going to be going to verse 20. So when something new is made, do you guys usually go out and buy the first edition or the first um, beta of something when it's made? We typically don't because that's when all the bugs are still there. When something new is made, there's going to be issues. When a new model of car comes out, usually there's recalls that they need to go back in and fix something that they didn't quite have all the bugs worked out. Jesus said that he is building his church on a rock. And quite literally, he is still working with the disciples to work the bugs out. They're still making mistakes along the way. And while we can look at those mistakes and say, you know, we should never do that, the truth is we will. We are still human beings and we will still mess up. What doesn't change is Jesus' reaction and the way he handles those things. Jesus' attitude towards them was one of grace and mercy. Every time that Peter messed up, he still knew that it was Peter. He knew how Peter was, and he would, he would still correct him, uh, but he was still leading Peter to a point. Uh, and actually, when we get to a little bit further in the New Testament, um, and actually past Jesus' death, you see that Peter finally did get it. But we're, we're kind of like this also. We're still kind of like working our bugs out. We're still going to make mistakes, and Jesus is still going to correct us and fix things. And when we get to heaven, we will finally be a finished product, and uh, that is something we can look forward to. All right, that's my introduction. Um, so we, like I said, Matthew 16, we, we already kind of read the uh, verses via the video. Um, but before we get into the message, I want to uh, just pause for a minute. Let us pray. Uh, if you would pray with me, that we can learn something from this passage where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you that it's something we can trust in. It's something we can, uh, we can really put the stake of our whole lives on as we, as we go through life and experience our, our different storms that we can trust that you'll get us through them and uh, when life is over that we can spend eternity with you. God, I pray this morning that you would uh, give us wisdom and open our hearts that we can learn something from this passage and uh, help it be from you and not uh, from just James. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. This is what I would call how to pass your final exam. Now some of you probably already took some final exams for the semester, but are still in school. You understand that the final exams are huge. They are a really important part of your grade usually. They're, a, uh, they're weighted heavily so that if you do bad on them, it might affect your whole semester. For the disciples, this was what I would call their final exam. And uh, they've had quizzes up until now, and Jesus has kind of had lessons with them um, he would sit down and spend time with just them outside of crowds. Um, and as he's teaching them, he would ask them questions along the way. I realize that I may be the only one in this room, I'm guessing maybe not, that was terrible at tests and quiz in school. Uh, so if you were a bad student, you're not alone. Uh, I was terrible. I was a terrible student and still am in a lot of ways. I remember in fifth grade, 
actually just across the street at Sherman Elementary, uh, my fifth grade teacher was Miss Luce, a very special lady, stood about this tall, redhead, uh, had a lot of energy, um, just a high energy lady and uh, high energy teacher, but I was also a very lazy fifth grade student. I remember one of the report cards that my mom got, which she still has, eventually I'll have to show my kids at some point the comments that my teacher made. But she made comments about who I was as a student and my personality, which was good. Those were good comments. She said I was a joy to have in class. She said that um, I got along well with others. But then we got to my academic performance and it was much worse, much worse than just being a joy in class. I could be wrong, but I believe she wrote on one report card, this is just one that the whole year, one report card said that James was missing 56 assignments. And uh, this came up in a parent-teacher conference not soon after we got my report card, because once that came home, my mom read it, we needed to talk with the teacher. And <laughs> I, was, I, I knew I was going to be in trouble going into this. Uh, so we get to the parent-teacher conference, and I sit down at my desk, and the, my mom and my teacher are sitting around me, and we're talking about you know, my performance in class, and uh, if I'm learning anything, if I'm doing my work like I'm supposed to. And I told him, I, I've been doing the work. I don't know why it says 56 assignments missed. And then we started looking through my desk. And I don't know if you, some of you remember the desk where it was like a wood top and it would lift up. Uh, maybe that's an old desk. I don't know. But we lifted it up and it was packed. Like the papers were all, all the way to the top. It barely sat on top level. And when we opened it up, most of my work was in there. Most of my work was in there, finished. I just didn't care to turn it in. I didn't care to do that final part of turning in the assignment. Uh, and my teacher just, just made no sense to her. Why would somebody do the work yet not get credit for it? So I, I was a terrible student. And in some ways, the disciples were terrible students also. Um, now, when I got older, and by older I mean like uh, 10th to 12th grade, I became a better student. Uh, better because I went to Pioneer and uh, started studying cars and sciences that actually applied to stuff that I enjoyed. And I became a better student because I was learning stuff that I actually enjoyed. Um, and I also knew that it was important at that point. When I was younger, I didn't really care. But as it got closer and closer to the time where I would no longer be in, be in school, I saw that it was more important. And that's what we see here with the disciples also. When Jesus first gathered them, they, you know, they came from their own trades, and they really didn't understand what Jesus was all about, but they followed him. Um, and they made a lot more mistakes, but they did get better and better towards the end. And you see at this point, this is, if this being their final exam, Peter did get it right. Now, if you look slightly ahead, you can even flip a couple pages in your Bible. You'll see that... Jesus's tone changes also. And actually in verse 21 of Matthew 16, he says, From then on, Jesus began to point his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Jesus is changing his tone and, and his message to his disciples, and he was preparing them for his departure. 
Jesus knows that his time on earth is short. He's not going to be here a whole lot longer. And for us, that's really the way we should live also, especially if we're parents or, or maybe we're grandparents, knowing that we really don't know how much time we have left here. Now, Jesus knew his time was short, but in reality, our time here is short also. We all have little time on earth, and we should be teaching and preparing others for our absence. When I worked at uh, Mansfield Motor Group, so I was a, a service advisor there. I worked for um, the car dealership. It was under Honda. One of my favorite people on earth, and um, someone that's just a joy to be around. Uh, his name's Jason. And I remember when I was kind of like the shadow of Jason. Jason was an older guy, not, I mean, he's not, he wasn't old, old, but he was probably 15 years older than me, and, but he kind of took me under his wing and would teach me how to do the job, but he always told me this. He was always saying, I'm not always going to be here, James. Sometimes that was because I just made a mistake, and he knows, like, hey, you can't keep making these mistakes because I'm not going to be here to fix it for you, but he was also in the same sense saying that I'm not always going to be here. You need to be the one leading the way. And that's what Jesus is doing here with the disciples. He's preparing them for his absence because he is going to leave and he's preparing them to continue the, the Christian faith without him there. So he questions them. He begins to question them. And then the next slide um, breaks down the difference between they and you. He says, who do they say that I am? And the people he's talking about, they are the people who looked uh, upon them favorably because we just went through a couple instances where people were very upset with Jesus and would even call him from Satan or if he's from Satan, the power that he got uh, to perform miracles must have not been from God but from the devil himself. We know that there were plenty of people who did not like Jesus because he challenged a lot of the things they were trying to achieve. So he asks, who do they say I am? And he's talking about people that actually thought Jesus was a good guy. And some of the answers they came up with was, one was John the Baptist. Just before uh, Jesus fed the 5,000, John the Baptist was beheaded. And there are some that think that Jesus was reincarnated as John the Baptist, like he came back to life. And uh, some people even say Elijah. Um, Elijah obviously a prophet, um, good person. And then I also said Jeremiah or just one of the prophets. Those are not bad answers while they're wrong. Those people thought that Jesus was a good person. He thought, they thought that he may have uh, been sent from God, but they still weren't quite correct. So when he looks around at these disciples and he, and it kind of like the video just showed, uh, he had them and was teaching them for a, a final exam. And he looks at them all and says, Who do you say that I am? Now, he's not talking to just Peter. He's talking to the whole group. But Peter's the one who answers. He says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I, I've said before that I like Peter. I, I think he might be one of my favorite disciples or characters in the whole Bible. Uh, because we see a lot of his shortcomings, yet Jesus still used him. Um, Peter answered correctly. He says, Have, who do you say that I am? And Peter wasn't perfect, but 
uh, I think you guys would all agree that he lived with passion, at least. Uh, he's very passionate about protecting Jesus. He's very passionate about the message of Jesus. But what is your answer? You could probably answer correctly because you're sitting in church or watching online. You could probably now say that, yeah, Jesus was the Son of God. He was the Christ. But what evidence is there that you truly believe that? Peter showed that by the way he lived and his passion uh, for the message of Jesus. What is your answer? I'm not going to judge your answer. I just want you to ask that for yourself. If you looked at your life and looked at the things that you prioritize and the things that you think are important, is Jesus at the forefront of all those things? And I'm not just talking about coming to church on a Sunday morning. Truthfully, that's kind of easy. But what about when you go to work? What about when you're sitting at the dinner table with your family? What are your conversations like? And they should be different for all of you because you're all in different stages, different situations. Is Jesus at the forefront of all of that? How are you living your life? When I was uh, probably Gracie's age or something like that, close to her age, I was uh, attending with my family a small Fruit Baptist church. And uh, when I was that age, I would actually go to the men's group Bible studies. Not because I didn't want to go to youth group, but there just wasn't a youth group activity at that time. So my dad would take me uh, to the men's Bible study, and I got to sit in on some Bible studies about how to be a good husband and uh, you know how to be a um, good dad and stuff like that, and I, I was just in high school. But there was one person there who, actually I was blessed because when I say that I went to a men's Bible study, those men treated me like I was just one of their own. They didn't treat me any differently. And there were several of the older guys, you know, at the time they were probably in their 70s, um, that really spent time with me, taught me things. And one guy in particular, his name was Sam. Um, There's also uh, another guy, Denny. Um, and I feel I'll probably forget their name. But the, these guys um, were veterans. They moved here from Kentucky, just like a lot of my family did. They were just good old boys. You could say they probably were unlearned in, in some ways. But Sam, this, this man that I say kind of took me under his wing, along with some other guys, was a good example of, of how Peter lived his life also. Sam didn't have a whole lot of off to offer when it came to finances, probably. But what Sam did was he was passionate about everything that was involved in, in the ministry of getting the good news of Jesus to everybody that we came in contact with. He would do it with little things as far as uh, coming to the church early and you know, doing things that uh, needed done. Um, but also at the men's group, this, this stuck out to me, is that he would be the one to, to purchase and also prepare a meal for all the men that showed up. It might seem like a small thing, but for all, what, as someone who got to eat that food, it was very appreciative um, that I was able to partake of that. But Sam did it with passion. He loved doing it. He was there early, would cook all the food for us. And that was just one small thing uh, among a lot of other things that Sam prioritized. And he did that just like Peter. He was passionate about the message of Jesus.
So if you answered as Peter did, and I would guess a lot of you would, does your life show evidence of that? And then we get on to where Jesus says that he will build upon this rock. So he actually says in verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter. Now, if you, if you remember that uh, it was, he was also called Simon Peter, if you research the, um, the original language, Petros is what Peter would translate from. And that means small stone. And then rock is Petra. I just put two and two together that the Petra rock band probably got that from that word. Uh, Petra equals rock. Now, when I read this passage before, I thought that Jesus was the rock. Have you guys ever heard that? You know, Jesus is the, the rock the church is built upon. Well, Jesus is the cornerstone, but I want to say I want to challenge this idea, or at least put this idea in your brain, and you can, you can think about this and do some of your own research. I think there's a possibility that the rock or the Petra that he's referring to is actually Peter and these disciples. And the reason I say that is because Jesus says that he is building upon this rock. And actually, in 1 Peter 2.5, uh, 2, did I say plural? Uh, you yourselves, as living stones, are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It appears to me that Jesus is building the church, is still building the church, because we see that even you and I are small stones, just as Peter was. Now, when something I've been watching uh, for some reason on History Channel is uh, how ancient civilizations built their cities. Um, I, I watched some of the building from the Aztecs and the Mayans and how that was kind of a crazy civilization. But even when Jesus was here on earth, they used rock for a lot of things. And Petra could actually be translated in a way that almost meant like a cement, the way you make cement. You take, you take small stones, you take uh, the cement itself, and when it hardens, you now have a, a base or a foundation to build something upon. So when I, what I want to at least ask you to do is do some research and, and think that maybe, just maybe, the rock that Jesus was talking about was you and I. Was, was Peter and the disciples. So when you put the concrete together and it dries, that is a very good foundation. It says also that the gates of hell can't stop it. We are supposed to be in the offense. If the gates of hell can't stop it, uh, I think we have a job to do, even yet today. In a lot of ways, it seems like maybe Satan himself is the one on the offense these days. There, there are different ways of coaching a football team. And some would say that defense wins the game. If you, if you have a great defense, then if you keep them from scoring, then you're okay. But just a defense doesn't allow your offense to score. I would suggest that if we were to compare, I realize this is a 
silly comparison, but the, the church, if God is building his church, the way we should live is not on defense, but one on offense. If the offense stays on the field, the defense never gets a chance to score. And actually, one of the ways um, some coaches would say is that they need to dominate the defense. They need to wear them down. Wear down the defensive line, wear down the corners and linebackers so that eventually they just give up and the offense then dominates and they begin to score and they will win the game. I think as a church, we are supposed to be on the offense. And then the last uh, slide here is actually just a picture of some stone and, and some sand. And I think there's a message here that we can take home with us, and it's unity within the church. Christ is still building His church, and we're, we're bound together even death can't stop us. There's, there's a lot to be said about unity within, within a group of people. Uh, obviously, I could go on and on about, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. We, we know that. And as a nation, you know, when we look outside of the church, we see that the United States is pretty divided at this point. We can be an example to the nation. And I think this is uh, one of the greatest callings of the church, actually, is when we're united as a church body, a church family, and we take care of each other, and we're there for each other just like a family would be, others will notice that. Our neighbors will notice that. Our community will notice that. I think one of the greatest ways we can impact our community is to be united within the church. That's not an easy task, obviously, because we're still human beings. We still make mistakes. Sometimes we have attitudes. Sometimes we don't get along with each other. Jesus is the one that can cure all of that. Jesus is the one that can bring us together, bring us uh, and form a foundation that can be built upon. So here's what I want to leave you with. I said that we can see later on that Peter took it seriously about the message of Jesus. Even when Jesus left and uh, you know, he, he was charged with being kind of the leader of this church, this this new thing that was built. Peter was the leader of that. Uh, so I want you to read Acts 2 with an emphasis on 43 to 47. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm actually going to flip over there real quick and read that for you. And uh, my headline at 42 says, A Generous and Growing Church. And this is something we should at least aspire to do, especially this coming year. Let's do something different. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying, enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. Obviously, that was a different day and age 
at that point. And some of those things would be near impossible to do as far as meeting together every single day. But let's aspire to do something like that. Let's aspire to be like the Acts 2 church. So what I would want you to do is find at least one action in that list that you lack. Maybe it's something you don't do as often, or maybe it's something you've never done before at all, and do that. And then let's pray, God, remind me that I'm yours, and help me be faithful as a living stone of your church. You are a part of the foundation that God wants to continue to build his church upon. Through you, more stones can be added. More of those small stones that he says um, would be added to his church. And if you would, let's pray with me. God, thank you for your word. I thank you for this passage here, and we see that Peter confesses you as Messiah. And God, we say that this morning also. We say that you are the Son of God. You're worthy of worship. Help us devote our lives to you. Help us keep you at the forefront of everything we do. No matter what the action is, help us be more like that. Help us be passionate about the message of Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.